What is going on? This is Ryan from The Scale-Up Show. I have a special guest, Frederick Thomason. He's a former journalist who is now the founder and CEO of Superside. Went from zero to 40 million in seven years. Yep, zero to 40 million AR in seven years. And one of the cool things he does is he breaks down his eight-step framework on exactly how he did that. You won't want to miss this. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Frederick Thomason. He is the founder and CEO of Superside, which is a tech-enabled design company that's revolutionizing design at scale for brands like Amazon, Meta, Spotify, and Coinbase. Uh, Something really cool about them is they've had 300% year-over-year growth with 650 team members across 70 countries, an evaluation of 400-plus million. Frederick, happy to have you on the show, man. Awesome, awesome stats that you got rocking right there. Well, thanks for that uh, introduction. Uh, really great, uh, really great to be here, and um, yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You have a really unique business model, so we're definitely going to get into it. But before we do that, I want to do a real quick revenue rundown, so everyone has some context in terms of where you're at in your journey. So, where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? So we're a little bit north of uh, forty million dollars in uh, ARR. Um, okay. Yeah. Excellent. And what's your primary go-to-market strategy for revenue growth? So primarily inbound uh, marketing. So we do content, SEO, paid events, webinars, stuff like that. And we follow up with um, with the leads either with, with SDRs or they book calls directly. And then our sales force um, converts those leads into... Um, into deals and um, our customer success team uh, takes it uh, over and works with our customers uh, over time and works on expansions and so on. So pretty, I'd say, traditional B2B SaaS uh, model, relatively heavily sales-driven uh, go-to-market. Excellent. Well, love hearing that. How big is your... Actually, I mentioned that. Is it Were those numbers... Completely accurate in terms of your team size that I mentioned with the 650. We're actually 750 people now. Um, it's growing like crazy, which is uh, a bit scary. Um, a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of work. Um, but um, but yeah, 750 people in 72 countries now, I think. So it's a pretty diverse uh, team with all kinds of different people, which is, I guess, the most, most exciting thing uh, for me. See that I love that. That's why I had to ask. The team size grew massively since uh, the time that I gave the introduction a few minutes ago to now. So it's, it's added a hundred people, right? <laughs> um, or or my numbers were a little out of date, out of date from your team. So sorry about that. Um, so walk us through your exact solution, how it works, and who you serve. So we primarily serve enterprise technology companies. I think you mentioned uh, a few earlier. We are primarily serving American companies, California, um, West Coast, East Coast tech tech companies. They are uh, primarily there. We're primarily working with marketing and creative teams, and so for for our our customers, marketing and within marketing, they're almost always bottlenecked by 
design and our solution is basically trying to unbottleneck design uh, by nature design demand is pretty volatile within an organization and the designers are, I feel all the designers I, I meet seem to be working all the time right around the clock so it's not on, on them to um, to that their that design is, is always always late but it is definitely slowing down marketing and creative teams and so what we've built is basically a solution that allow companies to get access to a dedicated team of top-rated creatives from all over the world, um, always available, super easily accessible through our design platform where our customers can go in and submit the project, manage their ongoing projects, see how much they're using, leave feedback, leave comments uh, in a really easy and straightforward way. Um and uh, yeah, that's basically uh, that's basically it. it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. So if you if you feel that the sign is uh, not moving fast enough, uh, give us a call. Love that sounds cool. It sounds like you got the tech combo with services, which is which is hot right now. Uh, you were funded as well, which which I mentioned in the intro. At what kind of point did you take on funding, and and why did you decide to do it? So we did the Y Combinator in winter of 2016, and we raced around immediately after that, um, which um, helped us grow for the next two or three years. At that point, we were running more of a freelancer marketplace, and that business went okay. I mean, we grew it to a, f- a few million dollars in, in sort of GM, GMV, but... The retention was never really there. Um, our kind of cohort retention was always just going to zero, kind of like what you're seeing for Fiverr and Upwork today, right? So it kind of just didn't feel like we had proper product market fit. And so we decided to pivot the business model to a subscription business uh, to focus on enterprise primarily and to start to recruit the you know, try to recruit the very best people in the world. Like it felt like the biggest problem to solve was access to talent, not just capacity. And so we made those, so we decided to make those three shifts, went out to try to raise venture capital, had a really hard time raising from everyone. Everyone basically turned us down except uh, one firm called Freestyle um, capital um in san francisco and um they brought in a, a couple of other investors to, to help us do that round and this was sort of late 2018 and then um we then spent three years without raising anything and then we did the round last year in in november from from luxor capital and, and process uh, process ventures which um which is about 30 million dollars uh, raised nice well, congrats on that. What What do you think? And and I usually don't get into this, but I'm just curious. Well, you said everybody else turns you down. Why did Freestyle decide to take you then at, at that stage when everybody else said no? I mean, I think at this point we've uh, we just kind of uh, given up in a way, and we we were uh, we were running the business sort of cash flow break even, so it, it wouldn't have been like a crisis if we if we couldn't raise the money, but we wanted to do it in order to place some big bets and be bold and aggressive and take risk and um, and so on. And so we were just hanging uh, around in, in in Menlo Park in, in San Francisco or south, south of San Francisco, 
drinking beer and feeling pretty depressed about uh, uh, everything. And just, I don't know, I guess just decided to just stop pitching in a way and just start to really tell the truth. So when people ask about um, what are your company's challenges, I would just start to answer, you know, exactly what I thought was the biggest challenges uh, instead of trying to come up with some kind of story, right? Um, and I would say, hey, you know, we're making this big bet, right? It's, it's totally might not uh, work out, but it's up to up to you, right? And I think at least in this case, um, that worked really well because people then understand uh, what they're putting money into, you know? They understand um, the bet. VCs obviously understand that there's risk, Um and I think sharing your problems and sharing the truth creates uh, this bond of trust and authenticity and it makes you more credible. And, and so I think that that really helped. And I think also just generally a really good personal chemistry with uh, the partner at um, at Freestyle, uh, Josh Felser, who's still on our board today and has been tremendously helpful for our, our, our company. That's awesome. So basically you just were massively transparent and that equal funding right at the end of the day i think so i yeah i think so i think many uh, early stage founders that i talk to make these really long convoluted pitch decks um you know they shy away from sharing difficult things they they, they shy away from you know being extremely transparent and i think that um uh, yeah, I I think you're much better served just um, just yeah being very conservative and and um, and and truthful in how you represent the company. Okay, and what revenue range were you at when that happened? Like when you kind of went through that? Then we were like two and a half, three million dollars in in GMV, still running our business primarily as a market uh, a marketplace. Okay. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So then what would you, because obviously to be, I think you said 40 million in the intro is if I heard you correctly, was it 40 you're at now? Like that's a massive jump. So what would you say is if you had to attribute it to one or, you know, between one to three things, what would you say are the most critical factors that allowed you to accelerate growth from two and a half, three million to 40 million plus over what was that about a six year time frame we're looking at? Yeah. So from... So we're a seven-year-old company now. Um, we spent, I guess, then the first three, four years really trying to find product market fit. But we kind of thought we had product market fit very early. And I remember a couple of the YC partners, even as late as 2017 or 2018 or something, I spoke with uh, Gustav Alström, who was this uh, head of growth at Airbnb. And he looked at me and he asked, like, hey, do, do you think you have product market fit? And I was like, yeah, 
I, I actually, yeah, I think we have public market fit. I, I told because we're growing, you know, it was, you know, we're profitable. And, and I kind of thought that that was product market um, fit. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years later that I finally started to understand what product market fit means. And to us, at least, it, it just was suddenly very obvious what it meant because customers starting, you know, literally almost kicking down the, the doors, knocking on our doors, wanting to get in. Investors wanted to, like, were starting to inbound, you know, calling us, wanting to invest. Um, everything just suddenly was, like, running downhill. Everything, um, you know, went our way somehow. Um, and and that was just an epiphany to me that, okay, this is now, this is this is how product market fit feels like. And, and I think for us, we spent so much energy trying to, to grow, trying to, you know, optimize all kinds of stuff and, and way too little time thinking about how to find product market fit more easily. And once we found it, everything was easy, you know, building, everything else was comparatively easy. I mean, everything is obviously hard, but um, I'd say that's the number one number one thing okay so that's a great point and it's it made everything easier if you had to break it down like one step further though like what's the criteria of actions that you as an organization took to create that product market fit yeah i mean that's the that's the right um that's the right question i guess i think for us we realized that ultimately our business is, you know, obviously a tech-enabled business, but still to a large extent about people. And so we decided to take that extremely seriously and go out and try to find some of the very best designers and creatives in the world. And, um, you know, people started um, understanding that, people started seeing the quality of, of the work that... Um, that these people wasn't and are are doing um, today. So I think that's that's number one. Uh, I think number two is we finally brought on a an experienced marketing uh, team um, and you know an experienced sales team. Quite frankly, we've been running um, a marketplace and primarily done paid acquisition and hadn't invested that much in 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 marketing and. And sales and and once we started getting that in in place, they start to demand a lot of changes in the way the product is delivered and more importantly in how the product is positioned and um, and uh, and priced and and packaged and and so on. And I remember I got a lot of advice as well from from why combinator partners VCs that you should do founder-led sales, you should do founder-led sales until, you know, X, Y, C. And I, you know, I I did a lot of founder-led sales and I think that I'm a, you know, decent, decent sales. I mean, you're obviously not a great sales, but I'm like a decent sales person, but still it took like our account execs once we started hiring them, it took them, I don't know, a month or something until they were wildly outperforming me. And so I wish I would have done that a lot um, earlier as well. Um, and then I, I'd say it's it's also just a lot of hard work over 
many years on many small things, if that makes sense, that kind of compounds together. Yes, there are sometimes these like big, big things that really moves the needle, but we've been, and especially our operations team had been working really, really hard over many years, ironing out all kinds of little, little details and, and over time, these things just compound together into a better customer experience than your competition. So, um, yeah, these, I would say these That's are awesome. top, That's top a three. great breakdown. So is there a framework that you have then or a view or model, mental model you look at for those, those small compounding changes that you take with the business um, across the different departments? Or how do you kind of approach that? I mean, I think the really hard thing is... Um, to be long term to have this to have this mindset of being long term focused in in your strategy and where you want to go and making the right decisions yet at the same time being extremely short term and execution focused right like doing keeping those two things in your head at the same time has always been to me kind of the greatest um, challenge um and knowing kind of how hard you can you can drive the rest of the um, organization i kind of feel like uh, sometimes a race car driver <laughs> going around a track and you want to drive as fast as you can right to make the lap speeds as quick as you can but if you're going too fast into a into a turn and, and don't break you're just going to run yourself off off track and so very often you know you have this seven habits of highly effective people type thing where you're just like our ceo should be really really proactive all the time and it's that's definitely you know the right idea to be proactive and push the pedal to the metal once you're you know it's a straight line you know you just need to execute 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 for a while but oftentimes you just need to also step away a little bit and um, and slow down the speed, and and I think it's just really important to to time those things perfectly. Um, yeah, and it's really hard, and we've definitely made lots of mistakes um, <laughs> throughout the company journey up until today. Everybody does. We're all human, right? Um, I, I think I love what you did. How you broke it down in those, you know, I think it was like eight, close to eight steps, right? Uh, get the best people for your tech-enabled solution. You brought in a more mature marketing and sales team. They gave you a feedback loop in terms of how the product's delivered, priced, and executed on. You know, you leverage your founder-led sales to share with them in terms of what you've done, and then they built on that. You did the hard work on small things, compounded, and then have, having that long-term focus while still executing on the short-term executables. And then last but not least, to bring in number eight is, um, you know, race around the track as far as you can, but at the same time, don't burn yourself out. So you run off the track, right. And, and filter in those like step back moments. Like, did I get everything? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that the, the racetrack analogy is, is, is obviously a little bit about burnout, but it's, it's really primarily about focus. Uh, and so if you push the team all the time, like you have some CEOs just push with all these ideas all the time, right, left and center. And I'm definitely sometimes guilty of that, but very often you should kind of do the other way around. Just try to do less and less and less and less things. 
Um, and always, and I find myself quite often just being pretty reactive um, as a CEO, just you know, waiting for people to come to me and making sure that I respond to everything ideally within a few hours and, and not just so that I'm not bottlenecking uh, anything. I know for, for me, it's just been very annoying sometimes having extremely busy bosses that never get back to you and you just slows you, slows you down. You know what you need to do, but you're just waiting uh, for someone else. So I've, I'm trying to not be that guy. Um, <laughs> Well, you're obviously doing something right. So, um, and, and here, I would agree with you on the focus aspect of it. Cause like one small change, one of the things we did is annually, and you could just, I do this biannually. I recommend it biannually for my clients is reset and evaluate your biggest wins, your fastest wins, your biggest losses, and then refine the targeting. And, and I actually created a whole process that I go through with this, but long story short, what it allowed us to do is double our deal size every year without changing anything else just from that refined focus. So over like a five-year period, at 100x our largest deal size. And so it was it was amazing and it aligns with what you're talking about with those those focused aspects and the compounding value of what happens over time. So um, Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, we're actually definitely seeing the same uh, development where I think our 10x growth over the last three years has been... 70 80% steel size and um the number of customers is has increased but not That's not awesome. massively it's just the bigger deals with with bigger companies more sticky longer um longer deals just always find always getting more and more and more narrow on the people where we have really have product market fit and doing more Doing more for less people or for less companies has, I think, been our winning formula in that regard. Yeah, I think it's a great strategy. Uh, well, it, which kind of leads me to my next point because it, it aligns exactly with what you're talking about. So you mentioned, you know, most of your your um, I should say demand comes from inbound. Has that happened from those those large organizations that I kind of mentioned in the intro, like Amazon? Uh, Facebook, Coinbase, are those all inbound or did you have a different motion for like the really, really big enterprise clients? Yeah, they're all inbound. It's very much bottom up. Someone in some team hears about us, finds us through um, some content piece or an event or uh, a paid ad or something like that and signs, uh, signs up and spreads it to the rest of the organization so yeah definitely this bottom-up plan and expand strategy which is very very different from kind of the incumbent big five advertising agency design agency industry where it's all you know top-down enterprise sales trying to get some chief creative officer or someone to make or cmo try to make them sign some huge deal and then force all of the various teams in the rest of the organization to use that vendor only. Like we're very much trying to democratize access a little bit. That's awesome. So, and we're almost up on time. So I want to finish things off with um, kind of one of the questions like at the stage of growth right now that you're at, you know, you're at that 40 million mark. What do you see are your biggest challenges for, hitting nine figures, right? Or your next phase of growth that you're going to have. Nine figures. So what is that? A hundred million? 
Yeah, 100 million. Sorry, I should have said 100 million. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think we're, we're, we feel at this stage, I wouldn't say comfortable, but, but we have a high conviction that we'll, we'll hit, hit that. And uh, the question for us is, is really about getting to that in a healthy and sustainable way, especially now given the whole market situation. It's extremely important for us to remain you know, cash flow, break even to make sure that we primarily sign annual deals with um, with this, you know, customers that actually really need to use us, just really try to be very, very, very healthy. Um, and so I'd say, you know, changing a little bit focus internally in the company from this very gung-ho uh, bull market uh, mentality where momentum, momentum, momentum was, was everything into um, a little bit more conservative um, approach. That's definitely always really challenging for uh, for culture. And, and then the second thing, which is always our number one challenge, is um, around preserving the values of the company. I think the number one thing that we focus on when we hire, when we promote, um, is is values. We have a very clear set of values that we always, every year, sort of reflect on and, and change and update and preserving those, making sure that as the company grows, people or those values remain intact and, and maybe even evolve to and to even stronger uh, to an even stronger set of um of values love that man well it was awesome having you on the show where can people find you where can they find out more about superside and then we'll, we'll wrap things up i mean uh, superside the uh, they can find uh, pretty easily uh, on the internet uh and it's very easy to sign uh, up on our website it's hard to find me i'm usually just working from home in oslo uh, and uh, rarely leave uh, the house so you probably won't find find me but uh, if you want to send me an uh, email and get in touch feel free to do so frederick at uh, superside.com um would love to talk to anyone interested in the future of uh, online work Awesome. Well, Frederick, it was awesome having you on the show. Really appreciated your perspectives and your insight. You know, and I think the framework that you gave around you know your growth model was awesome. So thanks for being on the show, and um, I appreciate you. Likewise, great to be here. All right. Well, it was great, and I'll look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.